But these scripture verses really jumped out at me for the first time in, in my life. I'll just put it that way. So this morning, we're going to dig into Acts chapter 1 and the first 11 verses. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there, and, and we'll go ahead and have a moment of prayer. Just ask God to be with us in a special way this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time we have today. God, to slow down. God, I pray that that's what we've done, Lord, that we are slowing down and busy things going on, getting kids different places. Lord, there's so many things. Lord, I pray our hearts would be settled. And God, that we would just be excited about what you did for us. And Lord, how you have prepared it from the beginning of time, Lord. Lord, knowing that we would be here today. And Lord, that uh, your plans are perfect. And Lord, you are uh, so ready to use us, Lord, if we're so willing, Lord, just to jump on board and allow you to use us. Lord, I pray these scripture verses would step out and, and to each one of us today. And God, again, you would just encourage us through these. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Just to give you a little background, after the resurrection, Jesus communicated two important realities about his kingdom to his disciples. The first was about empowerment. Disciples would not be able to fulfill their mission on their own. They needed his presence and power. That is why he promised the Holy Spirit. The second was about witnessing. The reason for the power was to communicate a message. And the key thought for, the, for today is Jesus' presence and power are still both are still with us. And for your first little blank there, uh, just a little quote in some of my studies. R.C. Sproul, how many of you know R.C. Sproul? If you do, man, his writings are phenomenal. And um, I was reading the book, his commentary on Acts. And he starts off by just telling some basic details. And he says, the book of Acts is the bridge between Jesus' steps here on earth and the lives of the disciples after his leaving. Understand that Christ had done everything he could to prepare the disciples. He had done, when he lived here in his ministry, we can go back and look at his words. And he absolutely did everything he could to prepare them for this day. He knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to witness all the horrific things. He knew the fear they were going to be facing right now. He had done everything he could, and right now he's going to have a short period of time to take these few scared men and launch them into an event that would change the, the world, and it's still changing the world today. We go back and look a little bit more historically, and we find that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were both written by Dr. Luke. And back in the day, the early church used to, um, they would keep these transcripts that it would be. And, and if you know much about the way books are written, they were on scrolls. And they would literally roll these things out. And they would carry the Gospels around to the different house churches. And they would share those truths and encourage each other with those. Well, uh, Luke's writings were both together. Luke and Acts were carried together. And it was some, as a, would be some 35 feet long when you rolled that thing out, man. Can you imagine that, going to this Bible study and rolling this dude out, 35 feet, and reading through that? Although at the same time, it'd be exciting. I don't know if you've ever been in a Jewish service, and when they bring up the Torah, man, it's cool. Even if you're not a Jew, that has to excite you a little bit. You walk in there, and they, they bring out this case, and then they bring out these big scrolls, man, and they start unrolling this thing, and the, it, it's just so cool. Man, again, the early church, the excitement, yet the fear that they had to have had as well, knowing they had such precious th- things they're getting ready to go and spread to the world jesus is trying to get them ready for that now let's jump right into the verses in the former it says in verse one the former account i made o theophilus of all that jesus began both to do and teach 
until the day in which he was taken up, after he thought the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, Theophilus, Luke starts off his book, both his books, addressing this persona, I call it, Theophilus. Uh, Some absolutely think it is a a person. It was uh, an actual, maybe a leader or something, that he would conveying these truths to this person. Some believe he was actually addressing uh, just Christian, the Christian body as a whole. Because if we go back and look at what that means, um, it's basically talking about how this is a body of, the body of believers or the believer of God is what Theophilus means. So maybe that was a pet name for this person. So he's addressing both of these books to Theophilus. And uh, in R.C. Sproul's book, it actually says, it literally means one who loves God or one who is loved by God. He reminds Theophilus of his previous book about Jesus' life and his earthly ministry. Luke continues his thought by placing a timestamp on this occurrence. Careful to mention the expectations that had been set. These include events that occurred throughout the Gospels until Christ's ascension. Again, he's pointing back to these evidences that I've laid out already in this other letter. I'm going to point back to those. I want you, as I'm going into this, I want you to revisit back on all those truths there. Luke is so careful. If we go back and study, uh, as far as things go, he was so historical. He wanted to be so careful about how he wrote things. And he's dealing with some people who are so educated. and, and, And many times they might not have been of Jewish descent. So he's very careful to point back to these evidences so he can build a foundation in what he's about to share. Let's go ahead and look at verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible truths or proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And in your blanks there, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And we say that on Easter. And uh, here are just a few of the events or proofs that occurred and the references. The first one is he presented himself. Now, if we look in the Gospels, John 20, 19, John 20, 19, it says, Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Again, why were they fearful? Men, they are being hunted. If you were a follower of Jesus, this was a... Rough time for you. And so they were afraid. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So there's one of the evidences that Luke's pointing back in the Gospels. He gave convincing proofs. And that's in Luke twenty four thirty nine. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you See, I have. Jesus, absolutely. I mean, he has brought these, these men. A lot of accent gives me away. Although, I, I'll be honest with you, I had somebody this week said, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, you don't have a southern accent. I have to tell you as well, though, they were from Alabama. So I don't know what that means. I <clears throat> <laughs> say it all. <laughs> I love Alabama, I do. Understand, there is currently much fear, and there is a purge that's occurring 
of those Jesus freaks. This upstart. They thought they'd killed the leader, and that was it. You cut the head off of the snake, and what happens? The snake writhes and it dies. They didn't know what they had actually launched and what was about to occur. Although they probably um, were dealing with the fear and a variety of emotions, having the risen Savior tell you to wait would be such an encouragement and would probably give them the guts to stick it out. I can say yeah, that was true, man. If, if my Savior had just appeared and I'd been able to handle him and he had said, wait, I'm not going to have a problem waiting. Some of those fears are going to be set aside. He had, after all, uh, conquered death. At the same time, Christ is so patient with these, disciples, these apostles and lays out what they should expect in the coming days and points straight to an event that could put their thoughts around and find great peace in. Now, let me ask you. i got a question for you, and you can answer. What event began Jesus' earthly ministry? The baptism. Absolutely. Think about it. What launches? It was the baptism. Do you think that was exciting times for uh, Christ's disciples to go and witness this and, and what all was occurring in, in Israel at that time? Because, as we all know, uh, John the Baptist has already been going out and baptizing people with water. And there was a great upcry to repent, even at that time, from John's preaching. So do you think they were excited when, when their thoughts went back to baptism? You know, I, I love it. Pastor Gary, he just is, he is so, so great in how he handles that question. We have so many variety of people that, from different uh, faiths as far as uh, denominations and how they baptize. I just love it where he keeps it right to the Bible. And he always points back to, and it should be an exciting time, an encouraging time for the believer. When you point back to that time when you were baptized, Christ, he pointed back to that for multiple reasons, I think, and I think one of them was for them to remember back of those exciting times to encourage them a little bit there. And then what was, um, okay, let me back up for a second. It was the water baptism. What event began the apostles' ministry? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. What is the beginning of your walk and my walk with Christ? It's our spiritual baptism, our spiritual birth. And maybe the disciples were taken back to encouraging days when they were, saw the water baptism. Maybe they experienced it themselves. And they're thinking in their mind, what is Christ talking about? The spiritual baptism, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is nothing new. The Holy Spirit had been here, but it would, just, would not dwell amongst us. That's about to happen. He's, again, trying to prepare them for that. Can you think of any event that maybe where this was discussed in detail. I couldn't help but think of the, the time when Christ met Nicodemus at night. You know, here we got a spiritual leader, this theologian. I mean, today, I, you know, he, he would have to be one of our, our head theologians, I can only imagine, you know, because he was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and uh, he was definitely a Pharisee. But to have... That level of person come to Christ, and then he's going to take him. And as it says in John 3, 3 through 6, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I, you know, that story had to have been shared amongst the disciples. I would think so. That was this leader coming in, and Nicodemus, he, as I understand it, later on he was around and helped with the preparing of Christ's body and things. So he had to have had some interaction with some of the disciples, so they had to have heard that. But I don't know if they totally understood exactly what was about to happen. What do you, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Jesus had shared with this learned man the simple facts of how someone can be saved. These same truths still hold true today. You know, the gospel's still going out. People are saved every day. I know that in many circles, there are a lot of fear and tremblings right now about something that we see going on in our nation. One of the fastest growing churches in our nation is what? If not the fastest, it is the fastest. What's that? Islam is absolutely the number one growing religion in our nation. What is the number one growing religion in the world? If you say Islam, you are wrong. No. Christendom, again, I have to say it in a broad manner, paint with a broad brush, but Christianity is still the fastest, and, and it's pr- proposed to be for many years to come. Can you tell me why? It should bring some encouragement to us in some manner, but we have two of the largest nations in the world where I have to go and ask, do you know what the fastest growing religions in those nations are? And that's India and China. My goodness, folks. Africa, number one growing religion is Christianity. And I will tell you, as England sent out missionaries to our nation at one time, they fall by the wayside. They don't send them out like they used to anymore. A lot of those great churches lie silent because of the apathy that entered the church. And at one time, and we still send out a great number of missionaries from America. We still do. Southern Baptists send out a tremendous number of, of missionaries. But it's not like it used to be. That call is not what it used to be. But I have to thank God. His plan is perfect. His plan is perfect. In that his word, our nation is still, he's not finished with, with us. I'm not in any way trying to imply that. I just say our work's cut out for us here. But to know that the church in China, the church in India, the church in Africa, oh my goodness, folks, that ought to encourage our hearts. We ought to be excited about what groundwork the church has set in America and sending out those missionaries to those countries because that's where it started. We can go right back to some of the ones, you know, Lottie Moon, we, we give to. I mean, just folks, it ought to excite us some that that's what's going on. Be sad a little bit for our country. Be concerned, sure. But God knows what's going on. He absolutely did have a plan, and he's working that plan. All right, let's go on. All right. Let's look at verse number six. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at, the, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Hmm, what? <laughs> and in uh, that little blank there, not the earthly kingdom again. Uh, you know, they kind of dealt with it, I thought, a couple times. I, I recall the, uh, one of the main times was when in Luke 22, 24 through 30. I won't read that to you, but if we were to go back and visit those verses, there was actually an argument that was taking place. 
where these disciples were saying, who is going to be the greatest in this kingdom? And I can't fault them too much. They, after all, are like you and I. We so much, when we're going through things in life, we so much want to see those blessings in flesh and blood. We want to see something going on right now that is tangible. You know, after all, they had been promised that the kingdom of Israel was going to be uh, a physical kingdom. There's going to be a reestablishment of the, the throne of David. And an earthly kingdom is going to be set up. So they were, in all honesty, they were kind of predisposed to go that direction. Can I say it like that? So it's understandable that, at least in the early arguments, that they may think this. But at this time, I know that if I had already dealt with my child and told them two or three times the way it's going to be, and they come up and they still kind of question that, you know, I have to, in my heart, think that Christ was going, what? <laughs> I thought we already dealt with that. Do you know, there may be multiple reasons why they were wanting that. I mean, if you've lived in fear, I mean, fear to maybe, I don't know what levels of fear you've dealt with, but can you imagine fear unto death? Fear that any moment they could grab my family, and that's it. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine what emotions those men were dealing with. So to desire that earthly kingdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope our desire is that. To be a little off and left field, I have to know that Christ right now, he knew exactly what they were thinking. And he was so patient. He, he knew. He's getting ready. He's already left them once in death. Getting ready to leave them again. He's going to bring them alongside. He's going to help them. Encourage them. This habit was hard to break. They so much wanted to see the physical kingdom put in place right then and right now. Let's look at verse number seven and number eight after I drink some coffee. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in that little statement there, I said, stop acting like grown-ups. <laughs> wow. Why would I say that? Stop acting like grown-ups. Man, if you, if you are like I am, you kind of start putting your calendar, filling in things. All right, this is going to happen here, and I plan on doing this here, and this wedding's there, and uh, oh, you know, we got to have our act kind of laid out there, and then we can kind of focus, and all right, all right, I'm good to go. I, I won't miss that event. Uh, we often have a worldview that goes totally against what our Heavenly Father prefers from us. In these verses, Christ, in his infinite wisdom and his patience, knows that the apostles still do not understand what is going on. He knows they are looking for the prophesied establishment of his earthly kingdom and as mentioned in the above verses and their positions in it. They, 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 they want to think in this box like we do. We, all, we, we just don't feel comfortable saying when you have a general statement, yeah, it's going to take place and it's all going to come together. Um, you know, somebody said the other night in our event Friday night, I think it was Crystal, that one of her things, her pet peeves or something, was that she's anal. 
you know, I can't help but think that we all deal with something like that to some extent. We all feel like we've got to have things put in place. And crisis, they're wanting it laid out. What's exactly going to happen? Paulie Miller, on one, uh, as mentioned before in um, one of his books that I'm reading right now called A Praying Life, on, one, uh, on more than one occasion, Jesus tells his disciples to become like little children. The most famous is when the young mothers try to get, their, get near Jesus so he can bless their infants. When the disciples block them, Jesus rebukes his disciples sharply. Let, he says, let the ch- little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. These grown men are acting like grown men. They're worrying about stuff they don't need to worry about. You can't do anything about it in the first place. I don't know besides myself who might deal with that. I do. There are times, you know, I just really have to physically grab my Bible and I say, Lord, help me trust in what you're doing. I don't know why. Some of you have lost jobs in recent months. Some of you have dealt with, with illnesses and are having illnesses in your family right now. And you step back and go, Lord, why? Why this person? Why right now? It's only common for man to be that way. And I'm going to tell you the same Christ that wanted to comfort his apostles and disciples at this time. It's the same Christ today. He knows what we battle. He knows that we, he wants us to be like little children. Little children, if you have kids, they get scared, what do they do? They run to you and you comfort them. If you put your arms around them, hey, it's okay. I, I'll, I'll take care of that. Just trust me. And I'm going to tell you, Christ is that same way. He knows that he's asking a lot of these men. He's, he's wanting them to be like little children. Trust me. Come to me. He's quick to encourage these same disciples by letting them know that although they are weak, he is strong. And the one he is sending is strong. So strong that miraculous and unfathomable events are going to occur. This handful of scared apostles is now going to become a force taking a message not just to Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth. To Jerusalem, they're being <laughs> killed, you know, run out of town or whatever. They could have said, I'm go back, as many of them did, and go fishing. I can deal with my people, maybe convince some of them. I'm going to make you, you're going to take the gospel of starting in Jerusalem and go out. Let's look at verse 9. I need to move on very quickly. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Our gravity-defying Savior. <laughs> there you go. Superman. Uh, you know, they had, this was the first miracle they had seen. Absolutely not. He walked on water. They had seen that. He's healed people, risen people from the dead. Can you not imagine? Dude, he came as... Poorest the poor. He was like a in a manger, in a feed trough. His family, although they were poor monetarily, they were rich. He came like that. He grew up as a carpenter. Nothing wrong with being a carpenter. Hey, I've done some carpentry work in my life. Uh, but it wasn't like the highest level. 
We're talking about the Son of God here. He come this way. He eventually died as a criminal. He, he died on a cross set up for a criminal. What more awesome way to go than to, again, defy absolutely the laws that all the rest of us are forced to, you know, bow to. And they still try to figure out all this stuff today with physics and stuff, how all this stuff works. And it takes all kinds of power to defy gravity. In fact, I can only imagine what it was like for those disciples watching Jesus rise, you know, how cool that was. Um, in um, a book that I'm reading, um, it mentions, he mentions in there an event. He lived in Central Florida, as I did. I grew up watching the Apollo rockets. Man, those were cool. I mean, those things are huge. And then the shuttle came along. Wow. Any of you ever witnessed any of those live launches? Is that what? Okay. Not the launch. Okay. Yes. You seen on TV? They're awesome on TV. Big screens. If you ever go to Huntsville and experience those engines when you do that thing and they let you stand under that, that's cool. I'm going to tell you one of the most awesome events I've ever witnessed. I went over and saw the Challenger launch, the maiden voyage of the Challenger. Yes, the same Challenger that blew up several years later, which I witnessed as well. Man, I'm going to tell you. You go out there, and it was back when they first started the shuttle launches. Remember, they used to paint them all white, and that was all white. Man, it was dark. We had to get there like 2 in the morning to get our seats. And actually, we were in our trucks. We parked them out in the swampy area, and we sat on top of them. But we were on Kennedy Space Center, about a mile from the event. Look out there, and it had lights on it, and it was just gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. So cool to see that. And then they have these speakers up, and they start telling you what the astronauts are doing. They get them in the, in the capsule or in the shuttle. They tell you everything, everything from what they ate for breakfast and all that stuff. They get them in that vehicle, and then they start counting down, and you're starting to get pumped. I mean, wow, this thing's getting ready to go. What's going to happen? And uh, they start the ignition, and they see that fire shoot out. I mean, it's dark, and it's flat. You've been in Florida. You can see just that little flame shoot out. The smoke starts coming in. They, they punch it, you know. They cheese it in my family is what we call it. They cheese it, and that stuff just flows, and, and, and it takes several seconds. I mean, this dude is big. It weighs tons and tons, so it has to fire, 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 and then you start seeing it just barely go, and it starts getting some momentum. And I'm telling you, it takes every bit of that, those tanks, to get that sucker off of this earth. I'm talking some power. And I can remember, man, that thing would launch, and you would watch it. And I'd grown up, again, watching the Apollo launches, and you would, you would see it launch, you see that smoke, and that's the way you would, you would identify it at first. And then it would get up there, and it would go and go and go, and you're watching, and you're watching, and until eventually you start blinking, and you kind of look and say, "Is that still it, or am I seeing something out there?" You know, it gets so far, the trajectory down, downwind. I can only imagine the disciples were the same way. You know, they watch and watch until he disappears. Wow. What a way to see your Savior go, defying gravity. Let's go on to verses 10 and 11, and then we'll scoot on out of here. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The men in white, who were they? Most... Theologians and people believed they were angelic beings. But why would they appear? They just saw Jesus go. Jesus had already given them the commands. Why do you think they would appear? 
I, you know, I don't know that anybody addressed it to my satisfaction other than, again, these are mere men. Mere men who maybe we're going to set up an altar, maybe. This is where Christ was at, and we're going to commemorate this place here. I mean, they were used to doing that kind of stuff in Israel's history. When they had an event, they'd put an altar up there. I don't know exactly why, but I knew this. They had a mission, that great commission. You shall be witnesses. It's not maybe you'll be witnesses. You shall be witnesses. I don't know if that was at that time a command or if he was saying prophetically, guys, I know what's going to happen. You might be fearful right now. You might think you can't do it. But I know you're going to do it. You will accomplish the mission. And that same mission, folks, is the same one that we have. It's been carried down. The same Christ that gave it then, he's given it to you and I. I love the way Gary says, you know, these same disciples would not die for a cause, but they would die for the truth. And I also love our mission statement here at our church. I call it our mission statement church. We're not here to sit, but we're here to serve. And I hope you take that seriously and you are absolutely honest with yourself. Quit fooling around. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be willing. God's calling us. What are we doing? How are we answering? Let's go on to apply. And I've already kind of given one away. Truth is number one. Pastor Gary, the apostles would not die for a cause, but they would die for truth. Number two, you shall be witnesses. Number three, Christ's imminent return. I put that one in. It brought back to mind um, something that occurred very early in my marriage. Milo's grandmother, she's died now, uh, or she died several years ago. And she lived in Van Wert, Ohio. I'll never forget, first meeting her, I loved that lady. She was a prayer warrior. And I don't know how many of you have ever met a true prayer warrior, but I'm telling you, she's a prayer warrior. She'd get to go through the phone book and just send cards to people handwritten cards and with a track and she'd just go through the phone book in Van Wert and do that. i never forget she'd send us letters of encouragement as a young married couple and having a young family little babies you know and trying to struggle and make a living and she always signed it signed it with the verse Titus 2.13 let me make sure I get it right here looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ I hope that's our thought, that we're looking forward to that. Personalize. Is Christ personal to me? If so, how? How is he personal to you? Am I fulfilling Christ's final earthly command? And then last but not least, do I have faith like a child? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your verses, Lord, your word, and how it still changes lives today. Lord, I pray that you'd go with us now into the worship service, Lord, that we would just be, Lord, bent towards you and waiting for the message you have for each one of us. Amen. Thank you for being here, folks.